Hey, White Wing Doves. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Angel. And I'm your other host, Brandon. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. No, because, well, as we've said in the past, not much does make sense. And who's who said that it has to make sense? Yeah, it's probably better if it doesn't make sense sometimes. Just live into the mystery and the unknown. Yeah, man, that's living in the present, right? Yeah, sure is. Um, should we introduce ourselves real fast? Because I was guided to actually start this week's episode with a little guided meditation, so we want to get into that. Yeah, I'm Angel Lopez. I am an astrologer and a writer and a film producer and a healer. Gorgeous. And, and you? I'm Brandon Alter. I'm Angel Lopez's husband, and I'm also a healer and an astrologer, a tarot reader and teacher, and I am also a uh, writer and creative. So we're not going to do this every week. In fact, we may never do this again. <laughs> but today we are going to do a little invocation opening meditation for everyone. And so yes. I encourage you, wherever you are, to take a moment and get grounded and just see if you can open up to this. Hopefully it brings you a little bit of healing, a little bit of peace, and a little bit of serenity. So just go ahead and close your eyes if that's something safe for you to do. And if you can stop any motion, like if you're walking, can you just stand still for a moment? Or just pause and come back at a later moment. <laughs> But feel your butt in the chair or your feet on the ground. Just take a moment to really return to your physical body. And start to notice that, yes, you are, in fact, breathing. You've been breathing this whole time. And just allow your breath to be this river that returns you to yourself. This river that, as you pay attention to it, it deepens and it widens. And as you inhale, just set the intention that any of your energy, any vital parts of yourself that are scattered throughout space and time, Ask your inhale to return them to you now, now, now. Any of your essence, any of your authenticity, where it's tied up in other people, other places, other things, call it back to you now, now, now. And give yourself permission to feel how you return to yourself, to maybe even see it like little flecks of light or like feathers floating down over your body. Just keep calling yourself back. Call yourself back out of the past. Call yourself back out of the future really arrive. And intend for this process to continue. 
Every time you inhale, you're calling back parts of yourself that you need. But now let's shift our awareness to our exhale. And ask your exhale to really begin that process of letting go, of releasing, of shedding. And with each and every exhale, the energies that don't belong to you, that no longer serve you, they leave you. They drain out through the soles of your feet like black tar or gray smoke. Energies that belong to other people, other people's problems, other people's anxieties, other people's stresses. Ask them to leave your body on your exhale. Send those energies into the earth where she can purify them and recycle them for good use. And even energies that are your own, that no longer serve, that are outdated, that are stuck, stale, and stagnant, let them leave you now, now, now. Let it be as easy and as uncomplicated as your exhale itself. And just tend to these processes as they happen simultaneously. The inhale calling you back. The exhale releasing. The inhale returning. The exhale letting go. And finally, just move your awareness into your own heart center. The center of your chest. That big, beautiful fourth chakra that glows pink and green. Maybe it glows all sorts of other colors too. Just let yourself really become aware of this energy center this vital piece of your humanity and your divinity. And into your heart, go ahead and call in a luminous ancestor, an angel, a power animal, the spirit of the earth, any divine presence that you know and trust, and ask them to fill up your heart so that you can feel their radiance, their love, their healing, their wisdom. More than anything, feel their presence and know in your heart that you are not alone at this time.
And when you're ready, slowly come on back. And whatever shift that allowed for you, whether it was subtle or dramatic, just tune into that. And welcome to a very special, very vulnerable episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I mean, aren't they all special and vulnerable at this point? I mean, <laughs> totes my goats. But Angel and I were having a conversation before we came into the spirit room and called in the spirits and got the mic stand set up. And it was kind of around the, the contradiction, the paradox between being healers and feeling called to hold space for all of you gazers and for the world, but also feeling it all, feeling just as scared and lost and challenged by these times and walking that bridge between being of service to others without neglecting ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as teachers, we think it's important, or I'll just say I think it's important to have this level of transparency that like I'm not sitting on a golden cloud pretending like I'm unaffected by the fact that the world is in a state of deep turmoil and change. Yeah. And so I just thought important to open up that space and start the episode this way. And not that our check-ins aren't always maybe vulnerable and TMI <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. and an overshare. But just to just to get all the way real with y'all. We're on this roller coaster with you and we're so happy to have you with us. Yeah, and I think the reality is that if you are listening to us on some level, you are a healer as well. Uh, because you are even just at the core of it, seeking your own healing. So in turn, you are a healer of your own self your own yeah. spirit, your own psychology, your own life. So we all, I think, probably go through this intense contrast of healer versus human. Mm -hmm. uh, not that being a healer isn't a human experience, but... No, know. not that not that they're at odds with each other, but sometimes no. we have this sense that a healer is someone sent from on high to... Right. As opposed to a healer who starts with their heart and heals their heart first. Yeah. And then heals somebody else's heart and then heals the world. I mean, that's really the trajectory. Yes, definitely. And to be completely transparent, I did really find myself in an intensely emotional space today. I think just around feeling some pain and honestly a lot of fear and i think just on some level like wanting some semblance of like my old life back and not so much like my old life but just like the ability to like i think like i said to you like just go to the eye doctor you know <laughs> and the and not have like any stress related to that and you know now those types of things come with well what is that process going to be like? And, you know, it's only in emergencies. And am I in an eye emergency? Is my eye going to fall? You know, like just it brings up all of these questions. And for me being like such an anxious person, like it just like 
amplifies it. And I, I guess even hearing myself say that right now, like being an anxious person, like I would like to get to a place where I can just dissolve that story, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, found myself like in a, like on the floor of the bathroom having a deep profound cry moment where I just like was fucking crying over all the pain and fear that I just hold on to and that drives a lot of my like 3 a.m. thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're entirely like my feelings and thoughts anymore, you know, if that makes sense. It almost starts to feel like just shit I've been carrying around for a long time. Like I've become comfortable feeling pain mm -hmm. and comfortable feeling fear. And if I'm not feeling those things, then what does that mean? Then that means everything's okay, but everything can't be okay because that's not something I've ever allowed to have in my existence. Like that doesn't happen for me where everything's just okay. And I really want to get to a point where I can allow myself to just like know and feel that everything is just okay and experience the joy of that. And I think I personally have a hard time just allowing that in yeah i think that on one hand shit has never been worse mm -hmm. and everyone has a right to whatever it is that they're feeling and it is also true that everything is perfect mm -hmm. right now as it is right and you can lean into that and i go back to this abraham hicks quote that i just use as a mantra sometimes which is how do you know it was supposed to happen this way? Right. Because it happened this way. And it's just acceptance. Yeah. Instead of trying to change it or wish something were some other way than it is, you know? Yeah. Don't we all just like live in a world where we need to find acceptance in the moment? Because that's living in the present, right? Exactly. Like accepting the present moment. And... Taking our power back for the things that we have power over, you know? Yeah. Because it's so easy to be like, well, if she would just do that, or if he would just do this, or if <laughs> the stock market would just, but it's like, you don't have control over any of that. You only have control over yourself, and all of those things are as they are. Yeah. So the if only, it doesn't help us move forwards. No, and I think there can even for me be like some shame around it, though, because to what you were mentioning at the beginning, it's just here I am a healer and trying to hold healing space for people and am holding healing space for people. Yet at times I still feel stuck in my own healing process. Sure. And of course. Yeah. And you want to be a strong presence and, and, and I am a, I am a strong presence for people in the spaces of healing that I do hold that we hold for people um but i think on some level i tend to like push myself to have to be strong yeah well there's a difference between a healer and a saint 
<laughs> yes. No one's expecting you to be a saint. No. Just because your name is Angel doesn't mean anyone's expecting you to be angelic. And the idea that you're ever even going to like put a period at the end of your healing sentence, I don't think exists. Because healing is a process, and as long as you are alive, there is something to be found to be healed. Yeah. So for those of you that feel as if you are not far enough along in your own healing journey to start practicing some healing work on other people, I would just encourage you to really sit with that and see if it's true. Because in a lot of ways, that's just the guilt and the shame talking. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not healed enough to help other people, you know? Yeah, and thankfully, I do feel like I've come far enough to be able to, like, recognize that and step out of it. Yeah. You know, I have mean, look, the release and move forward. <laughs> you know, I was there a lot when like, I was still smoking pot, you know, because to me, that was something that really stirred up my shame. And so I was like, well, like, how how good of a healer am I if I like, I'm still smoking a joint at night, you know, like, um, not that I ever like came to my healing work high, but it was one of those things. And I look back and I go, yeah, but also like you did really good work. Like you were present for people and you held space for them and nothing you did during that period of time was not valid. You know, it was just what I had to do to get right with myself so that I could love myself and, and really trust and lean into my power as a healer. But it's called the archetype of the wounded healer for a reason, y'all. Because there's a wound there, you know, and the wound is what keeps us sensitive so that we can hold space, so that we can practice healing. And that's what we're all doing for each other right now. And even just your ability, Angel, to express your vulnerability, to be present to your wound and then give voice to it can in its very act be healing. Yes. And I also have Mercury conjunct Chiron today, or yeah. conjunct my Chiron, which is literally giving voice to my wound, to the wounded healer. To my wounded healer. Yeah. And wow, astrology really showed up. Hey, astrology. Totally. Caught me by surprise. Yeah. But it's been an emotional week. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that emotional by nature. It's my Capricorn moon. I wish I were more emotional. Like Angel, Angel was, I took the dog for a walk and I came home and Angel was like, so I just cried on the bathroom floor. And what did I say? Like, oh, how nice. Yeah. You were like, oh, that sounds like a vacation. Totally. Because for me, like I would kill for that sort of release, you know, like I've, I have felt over the past couple weeks, like there's like something stuck in my chest that I can't, you know, get rid of. And then last Tuesday night, it just kind of like came out a surprise to me. And I was like, kind of sobbing on the couch and I was so grateful for it. And then I like even tried to like put my foot on the gas pedal of it, you know, almost like, like when you like are popping a pimple and you're trying to like get all of the gunk out. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I tried to like force it, it kind of like backed away from me. And I was like, fuck, like I have to allow my emotions, their own sovereignty. Yeah. I can't force them. I can't force the process, but you, I'm like jealous. Cause I'm like, I wish I could just lay on the bathroom floor and fucking sob my guts out. <laughs> Well, you're welcome to do that. Well, no, I mean, like, I I try, you know, I I had a couple days where I like laid on the bedroom floor and I like screamed into pillows, you know, like I screamed into pillows and I like beat them up and I like tried to bring myself to some sort of like emotional catharsis to some sort of like breaking point. And I just like I couldn't really get there, you know, and that's because the emotional body is mysterious and mm -hmm. It has its own timeline 
And grief is a process with its own timeline. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that's what I've been tapping into these past couple of weeks is just like a personal grief process, a collective grief process, an ancestral grief process. I've been like doing some past life griefing, grief processing. Like it's just been, it's been a grief party, you know? Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that like I'm walking around like Diane Keaton in Something's Gotta Give, just like waterworks all the time, you know? <laughs> like sometimes I'm walking around numb. Sometimes I'm walking around angry. Sometimes... I'm walking around just kind of like tight, you know, and that's that's part of the grief process. Well, and that's the idea, right? That on some level, I mean, we're all going through a grief process, right? Yeah, we're grieving how things were. We're grieving how things are being handled. We're grieving mm-hmm. the death that's around us, the fear, yeah. the anxiety, and and it's important to acknowledge it. Yeah. And if you're a sensitive spirit, you're feeling a lot of it. Yeah, you're feeling other people's shit. Yeah. Which is why maybe I was guided to bring us all into that meditative space where we learn how to release that which isn't ours. Yeah, which I think is incredibly important. I had to do it on the regular. <laughs> um, well, I found it very helpful. Yeah, because you always know, do. in that 12th house where we all live together, where all of our spirits are hanging out together, you know, boundaries are hard to come by. True that. And what's, you know, and somebody else's feelings, they permeate into you too, you know, like... We are all connected in an invisible realm, and we need to learn how to release some of that stuff when it gets, you know, shifted. Yeah. Another way to think about it is like we're all one body, you know? Mm-hmm. So we have to strengthen those cellular walls. <laughs> right. Keep some sense of autonomy within the larger body. So, yeah. So that's our, that's our. That's group. our deep emotional that's shit. Group, group, yeah, that's our grief group check-in, everybody. Uh, we promise to lighten up from here on out. Yeah, we'll do our best. <laughs> we have a beautiful episode planned for you. Yes. We got some really gorgeous questions that came in, so we're going to do a little mailbag segment, and then we are going to deep dive into the planet Uranus. <laughs> All right, get it out of your system now, everybody. Uranus, Uranus, Uranus. Your butthole. Okay, calm down. So the planet your butthole. Uh, so the planet your butthole is basically about, about pooping. Um, <laughs> oh, all right, so let's shift into a little segment that we like to call the SG Mailbag. All right, so we got two really gorgeous emails that had some really kind of deep questions and we felt like we would kind of unpack them here. So, uh, let's do it. So the first question uh, said that, um, lately with this quarantine, I felt a pull to the past to family and childhood home, but it extends further than that. Growing up as a white American, I never cared much for my Finnish Scottish heritage All of a sudden, I feel such an urge to visit, like this spiritual and energetic pull. I've never stepped foot on the land where the majority of my DNA comes from. What's the significance? Does that matter? Does my soul miss that land? Am I doing a disservice to myself by never experiencing standing on the ground of my family's past? Or is time and space ultimately an illusion, and energetically we're all connected, so why would it be that important? So it's a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know if we're going to be able to answer any of them to your satisfaction, dear caller. Um, but we're going to give it a whirl. Yeah. So the first thing I want to address, and we'll probably go back and forth here a little bit, 
is that I do believe, and I've said it before, that time and space is an illusion. But that having been said, the land of your ancestry does have a power. And I think it does have a call. But perhaps it's not about stepping foot on the actual land, although perhaps, but it's more about just connecting to the ancestors in general. Because one way of looking at it is that we are the living body for the spirits of our ancestors. And so they want to feel connection to us because they want to help us. Because what happens to us in some ways happens to them. And so it's not unusual that at a time when we are more still and more quiet and there's less distraction available, you might start to feel the call of your ancestors to reacquaint yourself with them. I do think, though, that for those of us who seek deeper spiritual connection, for those of us that might have a little bit of a shamanic inclination, there is a lot of power to be found in the land itself that we came from. And so whether or not you actually get a chance to go back to Scotland or Finland, or you just energetically can reach out and touch that land with your spirit— it might be able to give you a real sense of power, grounding, and connection. Because the land is both physical and energetic. You can connect with the spirits of your ancestral land without having to travel there. What would you say to that, babe? I mean, I think that's really great advice. And I think just start to engage a connection to those places, you know, whether it be through music or art or literature, film, history, I think there are ways to engage and just see if there are any clues to personal awakening within those for yourself. Uh, but I will say, as someone who has a few main spots of lineage, uh, I have, you know, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Spanish, and French. And I have actually visited all of those places. And uh, there is something to going to those countries or, you know, places uh, where you do have some sort of ancestral connection and seeing how the culture speaks to you and what the culture brings out in you. But I think you could start just by accessing the spaces in other ways and just seeing what comes of that. What comes through for me is that your soul's homesickness for the land is no different than your soul's homesickness for your own ancestry. Mm -hmm. And that the ancestors in the land are so intimately connected because the ancestors lived on the land and learned from the land and in a lot of ways were birthed by the land. And so one, in a lot of ways, helps us to relate to the other. And that something in your soul is really seeking that deeper connection at this time. Yeah, so it may just be about doing like some of that like ancestral work, right? Yeah, but sometimes people are like, eh, like my ancestors don't excite me. Like there's a bunch of like creepy dead people. Um, so yeah, so so just start working with the land directly, you know? Start working with the land of your ancestors first and then see who shows up for you, you know? 
Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to acknowledge that the land of the ancestry is in a lot of ways part and parcel of the ancestors themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, for me, example, like if I feel a yearning to to go to Russia or to Israel, you know, it's also maybe just about traveling spiritually to to the Israelites and the Russian people of my past, you know, and, and yeah. connecting with them. Yeah. Um, or just putting on some Jewy music and dancing around, you know, like that can also be connecting. Like you do every Sunday morning. Okay. <laughs> no, hardly. Although um, I will say when I was doing one of my shamanic trainings and there's a practice in shamanism just called the soul song, where you essentially just get into a trance state and you just kind of sing whatever your soul is compelled to sing. Uh-huh. The more and more I would do this, the more and more it would just like slip into the minor key. Like it just like would always end up being like some sort of like minor key sounding song, which is uh-huh. just like, like all the Jewish music is just like so minor key. Oh, you know okay. I mean? It's just like all the minor key it's all like slightly like sad and melancholy and dramatic in that way got it just because it comes from like that part of the world you know right yeah yeah so our other question is about dreams and this is someone who has had lucid dreams since they were around five years old whoa and has had repeated nightmares about being tickled to death so they taught themselves how to be in control in their dreams Mm. um And they say that in a lot of their dreams, they have superpowers, levitation, flight, invisibility, telekinesis, um, strength, speed, um, but that they also have dreams of a dark swirling vortex energy Mm. that throws them around the room and up to the ceiling and that carries on until it stops and fades into the background. Whoa. Um, Always when this person is on their own. Um, but when other people are in their house and they go on just to, to say that 99% of their dreams are bad. They have dreams about epic arguments with their family when in real life, they're really close. Um, and they were wondering in particular, if there's something in their astrology that they can work on to heal their subconscious. Well, do they offer any of their astrology? Yeah. Of their astrology. Yeah. So, um, they mentioned that they have Virgo in the 12th house, but no planets. Okay. They mentioned that they are a Gemini sun, an Aquarius moon, and a Libra rising. So they're all air, which I think is interesting just to note right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and they gave their like a whole birth thing, but I didn't, I didn't pull up their chart. Got it. Uh, well, I definitely think it would be interesting for the, just to, to know where their Neptune falls and if it has any relationship to any other planets um because neptune is that planet that rules our connection to our dreams so i think that would be curious to see Mm -hmm. because yeah there may be a connection to like a saturn or a pluto or something along those lines that could offer even just like a mercury and if not then just even just the house placement uh, will offer you some potential pathway as to how to perhaps awaken some more positive expressions of your Neptune. Mm-hmm. Uh, I.e., if your Neptune's in the fifth house, then you know what's your relationship to your creativity and how are you expressing both optimism and you know 
pessimism in your creativity, you know, or, or how you how are you expressing your sure. creativity, or in seventh house Neptune, you know, and how are you expressing your truth in your relationships? Because if you're not, then maybe it's manifesting through dreams. Um, so I think that's on one hand just the astrology of it, mm -hmm. but. I guess I'd be curious to know too if this person has sort of like lucid dreaming elements. Have they really ever worked with trying to shift the narrative of their of their dreams right into positive spaces? Yeah, you know, like what's going on right before they go to sleep? That was actually something I was guided to mention too is yeah we want to remember that what happens in our waking state can inform our sleeping state mm -hmm. and like you know if you have really bad boundaries when you're alive walking around in the waking world you're probably gonna have pretty bad boundaries when you're asleep in the dream world you know yeah if you're going to sleep in a bad mood that may influence your dreams in some capacity so i would encourage this person to do some sort of little clearing ritual before they go to bed. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be long, you know, like I have a little like five minute Qigong sequence I do before bed or even um, working with selenite or black tourmaline. Um, I also just want to remind people. I know I was like picturing like just like a little selenite, like one of those flat selenite stones under your pillow. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, they say that 99% of their dreams are bad. And remember that bad dreams are not always bad. They're sometimes like a warning or a message. They can sometimes transmit a lot of power. And I would encourage that person to really, I want you to try to have a conversation with that dark swirling vortex energy and understand what is the nature of that vortex energy, because it may, it may be a part of you. It may not be right. separate, you know, or, you know, because Virgo is in the 12th house, to me, that talks about like collective unconscious healing. If Virgo is the healer of the Zodiac in the 12th house, perhaps because they say like, this only happens when there are other people in the house. And so I'm like, are you trying to unconsciously heal other people's stuff in your dreams or getting caught up in their stuff? Mm, that's interesting. Um. So that's the whole boundaries thing. Exactly. And even though they say that, like, you know, they're on really good terms with their family, you don't know that there's not, like, some unspoken subconscious resentments or even just, like, unhealthy codependency. And that stuff kind of plays out in the dreams. Right. Um, it's such an interesting question. And I shared it because I want to help this person, but also because... <laughs> You know, like, I don't know if I have the answers to any of these questions, but I think it's a great way just to expand on the conversation that dream episode yeah, um, maybe started for, for a lot of people. And that dreams are the other realm in which we live our lives. And we have just as much power and sovereignty and ability to choose in the dream world as we do here, you know? Yeah. You get to maybe say to that dark swirling vortex energy, like, not today, buddy. Like, you're not putting me up on the ceiling. You're going to show me your true nature and we're going to have a conversation. Yeah. And just like watch it shift into a big jello mold. Totally. So who knows? So... You guys, send us your questions. As you can see, we will we will read them on the air. We will keep you anonymous, and we will try our best to take a stab at it. Yeah, or at least have a random-ass conversation about them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
All right, babies. So with the second half of the episode, we are going to explore the lightning bolt planet of creativity, chaos, and change. So put on your space suit or your scuba suit or your fringed bikini because it's time for this episode's Deep Dive! Girl, tell me about Uranus. (laughs) <laughs> Why don't I just show you a picture? Okay. Uh, I can post it on the Instagram if Gorgeous. everybody wants to see a picture of Uranus. Oh, my anus? Anyhow, yes, we're talking about the planet Uranus. I actually pronounce it as Uranus, though I think it technically is pronounced Uranus, but I just feel like it's so much easier. And people, there are a few pronunciations. Some people, Uranus. Yeah, some people use Uranus. Um, some people go back to like the god and Uranus and say Uranus or Uranus. Um, but yeah, I like Uranus, but you can say Uranus. You can say, you can say whatever the hells you want. Yeah. So Uranus is the planet that rules creativity, chaos, and change. Uh, you know, through this energy, inspiration is born. It's, uh, an initiation into an electric new moment. You know, there's a symbol for it that is like a bolt of lightning. I love that, an electric new moment. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And if you think about it, there's something about lightning that like shakes up the atmosphere around it, right? Mm -hmm. You can feel it. Yeah, it like sends like a tingle. Stands your hairs up. Through the air. And it completely like almost even like shifts like the visual atmosphere right that like sudden visual it's like boom now you're in a new moment oh totally you know it's like having like a like a camera flash in your eye i love lightning (laughs) yeah me too we don't get enough of it out here i love flying over lightning whoa um but you know uranus is also really connected to our uniqueness our authenticity um you know it's where you let your freak flag fly ultimately yeah because it's the ruling planet of aquarius mm -hmm. which is the sign of freak flags and I actually uh, wanted to read uh, Richard Tarnas wrote a book called Cosmos and Psyche. Oh, the library. Is, the library oh, yes. is open. Uh, which is a fucking massive book uh, that really gives you like an intense, uh, really historical his, uh, look at astrology uh, and the cycles of different transits and, you know, when planets were discovered, things of that nature. Um In this book, he says, Uranus is empirically associated with the principle of change, rebellion, freedom, liberation, reform and revolution, and the unexpected breakup of structures. With sudden surprises, revelations, and awakenings, those lightning-like flashes of insight, the acceleration of thoughts and events, with births and new beginnings of all kinds, And with intellectual brilliance, cultural innovation, technological invention, experiment, creativity, and originality. And in addition to occurrences of sudden breakthroughs and liberating events, Uranus is 
linked to unpredictable and disruptive changes. Hence, the planet is often referred to as the cosmic trickster. Oh. And I think that's really interesting because if you look at the actual like myth around Uranus, uh, it actually kind of doesn't really fall in line with what the planet represents. <laughs> um, you know, Uranus was this like God who was born of Gaia and then, you know, in typical like, you know, God fashion had sex with Gaia and impregnated Gaia and then had all of these, I guess, for lack of a better word, like deformed children. <laughs> and um, with the exception of the what were known as the Titans, who were, you know, like these sort of warrior-like Elemental, elemental creatures. creatures. Yeah. Um, they were like the pre-gods. Yes, and uh, but Uranus was a really bad parent, like a terrible father, and just was like, "I'm not interested in not any of these children because none of them are like perfect." I just want to have sex with your grandmother. Exactly. <laughs> with, so well, with up. my mother, yeah, their grandmother. Yeah. Oh Jesus! I know the Greeks. This is what we were founded on, people. These stories. So anyhow, then. Of course, what happened was one of the youngest titans, Cronus, Saturn, uh, basically like took revenge in honor of his mother and like cut off Uranus's penis and threw it into the ocean. And then Aphrodite was born. From Uranus's penis? Yeah. Wow. Which I find fascinating that really out of like his instrument of creativity was born the goddess of beauty, art, and love. Yeah, totally. Um, and kind of his only, like, beautiful creation. Mm. Um, but anyhow, all that to say, the only thing that really, like, connects him to, like, how we look at Uranus in astrology is that he was a sky god. So that gives you some of that, like, lightning and, you know, things of that nature. Um, and there are lots of people who actually really connect... Uranus to the Prometheus story, mm. um, you know, because Prometheus was much more of like the rebel, mm -hmm. you know, who was trying to like sort of teach the people how to innovate. Yeah. Right. And he like tricked the gods and stole the fire and brought it to humanity. Exactly. So hence the trickster yeah. element. Um, so I think... You can look at Uranus and the way it was named more possibly from a place of, you know, Uranus got its name given the time it was discovered. It was like, you know, the late 1700s. So there was a lot of like independence, declaration of independence, you know, lots of things happening around then that were about like freedom and rebellion and revolution. And also the discovery of electricity, which also mm -hmm. like revolutionized how we live our lives. Exactly. So in a way, it was named more out of like a practical nature. Uh, and interestingly, there are some people who even suggest that Uranus may have been the first planet that was named actually out of astrological counseling, that people wouldn't, astrologers noticed that people who had really prominent Uranus placements were those revolutionaries, were those rebels, were those ones who were, you know, expressing themselves in a much more like counterculture way. Mm. So perhaps through some of that astrological observation, the idea of what Uranus has 
come to represent was born. Interesting. Because mm-hmm. some schools also connect Uranus to astrology itself. Exactly. So if so, there's even something interesting in that, right? That the idea that astrology is what gave Uranus its definition. <laughs> That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. But also it's interesting to think that like astrology is a practice for change, right? Like you engage with astrology so that you can change your life. Yeah. And so that you can like contact the divine in some way. You can access that lightning bolt of inspiration and then make like those dramatic shifts that need to be made. Mm-hmm. And if you connect it to Aquarius, which is what, you know, the sign it rules, there is a connection to wanting to heal the collective, right? And Another liberate, element. And liberate liberate the, collective. the collective. Yeah. yeah through which, that self-knowledge and that cosmic knowledge. Completely. So... Yeah, so I find just all of that really interesting. And just to give uh, a little bit more of like Uranus on a on a larger level, uh, Bill Tierney in his book, Alive and Well with Uranus, uh, he says, for Uranus, life is one big experiment where we get to play mad scientist at times. Oh. We just need to give ourselves permission to adopt this planet's unusual perspectives more often in our lives and with a greater sense of inner commitment and fortitude. But don't expect society to applaud our offbeat Uranian efforts or even comprehend them, at least at first. True Uranians stand apart from those who uphold moderate mainstream approaches to living. It takes courage not to always graze with the herd and thus forfeit the benefit of safety in numbers. Yet to persistently stand apart from the crowd invites unwanted social problems. However, thank goodness Uranus is... However, thank goodness Uranus is loaded with such needed courage, made stronger by its ability to mentally detach at will and remain fearless. Mm. So to really understand how Uranus is at play in your chart, you obviously want to look at, you know, its house and sign combination. um, And see how Uranus is there to invite or even more so probably help you understand your perhaps out-of-the-box rebellious approach to certain areas of your life. Uh, You know, Uranus in its natal placement wants you to see that you don't necessarily have to follow the societal norm path. You can take your own approach to things and you may just have a natural inclination to do so in that area of life and you do so uh, in a way that's expressed by the sign that Uranus is in. So uh, I guess as a strong example, I have Uranus in Scorpio in my sixth house So Uranus, that rebel-seeking-freedom nature in my sixth house day-to-day in Scorpio, which means that I have a really all-or-nothing approach when it comes to work and my routine, and I am not very good at following a regimented, structured routine, hence why as much as I tried working in office environments— They ultimately just do not work for me. Like, I just don't want to have to go to multiple weekly meetings in the conference room. 
And if I do go, I'm always going to be the one who, you know, probably shows up a little late, who wants to throw a wrench in the agenda that's been laid out, and who wants to probably be a bit rebellious in the conversation that we're having. Where do you have Uranus? I have it in Sagittarius in the ninth house. So how would you say that plays out for you? Well, I think it's my rebelliousness in like learning and philosophy. Mm -hmm. Like on one hand, it's great to have Uranus and Sagittarius in the ninth house because it means that like one of the ways that I expand my creativity and create chaos is by learning new things. But it's also where I'm like, well, I don't know if I agree with all of that or like, (laughs) well, I'll take some of this and I'll leave that other bit, you know, because it is about that, that sense of like, philosophy um and truth seeking and universal truth and so it makes me a little rebellious um to to agree that all of that is is true you know right it also sextiles my mercury in aquarius which i think gives me my like rebellious tongue it might it might charge in (laughs) it might charge into just like my issues with authority in general you know what i mean like like i think i know better probably because it also is in that like ninth house of like knowledge and wisdom so i'm like eh, like i know y'all are doing it that way but but i know better like fuck y'all you know yeah and even interesting to think of the fact that like you're not someone who even like followed like a traditional like school path like you went to multiple schools oh i did actually oh my god i went to so many schools and they were so, you know, and they grew like more and more alternative as you went along. Oh my God, that's you say? so true. Yeah. <laughs> I started just like a basic, like, you know, like San Diego private school. Cause like, you know, that's how it started. And then I went to like performing arts boarding school. And then I went to rabbinical school for a year. And then I transferred to like a, like a drama school and then I went to like <laughs> shaman school. So yeah, I've been, I've been to a lot of crazy schools. Well, and, and I'm always, but I'm also like always, like I am the girl that's like signing up for a workshop, going on a retreat. Like that's yeah. how I changed my life because it actually like, it does shift something for me. Like the more I learn, the more I change. Yeah. Well, and it offers you a chance to invent yourself in a new way again. Just like Madonna. <laughs> I'm always reinventing myself. Totally. Through knowledge. Yeah. Through learning. But then you really can look at, you know, where Uranus takes you through it. It's the transits in your life and it enters into a house and brings the word that you mentioned that I didn't mention earlier, which is chaos. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uranus offers up a little bit of chaos in that area of your life. Um, But ultimately it's like, it's time for a revolution and it's time for some changes but the changes don't you know obviously we already have like pluto who's interested in transformation and saturn who's interested in change uranus is also interested in change but uranus wants to do it from a place of experimentation Mm-hmm. almost like more playful more like i don't know if this is good change or bad change but we're gonna do it anyways yeah i think actually uh One other interesting element of Uranus that I discovered is Carolyn Casey in her book, Making the Gods Work for You. Mm -hmm. Uh, She talks about Uranus's shadow Mm. and refers to it as the rebel without a cause. Oh, So if you listen, Uranus defies the authorities. So far, so good. 
However, its shadow is procrastination. Ooh. Under the Saturnian pressure of having to do things, the psyche goes to the movies. <laughs> Somebody who is very strongly Uranian, independent and rebellious, learned in early childhood how to evade compliance in order to protect his or her unique wildness. As we get older, we find that the old Uranus pattern of evasion has outlived its usefulness. The rebel no longer has a cause, but continues to sneer, I don't have to do that. One is now rebelling against oneself. The strategy that has fostered freedom has now become an impediment to liberation. Okay, I feel very judged right now. <laughs> what do you mean? I thought this was a safe space. I even like opened it up with a meditation and now I feel red for filth. Well, tell us why. I feel like I'm bleeding out. How does that resonate for you? <laughs> How dare you? What are you talking about? I didn't say it resonated for me. <laughs> I think that's very, very profound. I know. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. The things that we learn how to do to protect the inner wildness eventually become the very things that we do to avoid what needs to be acknowledged in, our, in ourselves. Yeah. That's some profound shit. I will say, when I give readings, Uranus is probably the planet I still feel like I don't entirely have a handle on. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's so Uranian. Like totally. it defies... <laughs> any sort of like being pinned down, you know? Yeah. And I even heard recently from my therapist who is by no means an astrologer, but he was like, what is your latest podcast going to be about? And I was like, Uranus. And he was like, oh, isn't that the planet that rules homosexuality? And I was like, I'd never heard that, but that actually makes a lot of sense. Like if there were one planet that were going to rule queerness of all kinds, it would be Uranus, right? For sure, to, yeah. To go against the grain, to be different, to be innovative, freak flag. But I also was just thinking about like the gay community when you were talking about that Carolyn Casey quote. And it's like the things we did to protect ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Like as queer people yeah. early on, sometimes those behavioral patterns that we use for protection as we get older are actually the things that we do to keep ourselves stunted. Like totally. a Peter Pan complex or that keep us from evolving and growing. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting tidbit there. For sure. No, I love that. But yeah, when I see Uranus in a chart, I always, uh, I just kind of go in through the door of authenticity. The back door of authenticity? The back door of authenticity. Okay, really? I'm sorry. I'm the child here, clearly. That's, that's fine. You're an Aquarius. It's, you're in your comfort zone. Um, but, but yeah, I always really connect it to like, where do you need to access your uniqueness, your authenticity? Mm. It's through that place. Oh, I love that. You know, and, and it's through that room in the house, you know, for mm. looking at every house in a chart as a room in your, in a large home, right. you know, like that's the room where your authenticity wants to flourish and bloom. So how are you using that area of life to express it? What if each house is a structure on the compound? Okay, that's cute. <laughs> Brandon really wants us to move to a compound. Oh, that's my Uranus right now. Look, like, I'm open. Let's just move to a compound. I'm open to it. In the high desert. So why don't we take a tour through the compound? A let's quick, we'll take, take a, quick a speedy Uranian tour. tour through the 12 houses. That's how she would want it, right? She would. She'd want it fast and furious. It's a lightning round. Honey, lightning round. <laughs> I love it. So Uranus, she, she shows up at the uh, ascendant door. She walks into the first house foyer and she basically like wants to like, you know, put like the most wild dress on you. You know, she wants you to like cut all your hair off and 
dye your scalp purple. Mm. You know, <laughs> or get that scalp tattoo. She's the Tasmanian devil. Yeah, but ultimately she wants you to express, you know, your self-image, you know, like how others see you. You're you're even like you're just your physical being. Face like, tattoos. That's how your authenticity wants to come out. Questionable Face piercings. Tattoos. Okay, we're not telling you if you have for Uranus in the first house <laughs> to get questionable piercings. Um, but we are saying that it's important to really express yourself <sighs> through the way others see you. Totally. You know? Um, to literally like pull your freak flag out and like wave it as you walk down and, the street and make it into a dress and wear it, Hanny. Yes. All right. Uh, second house. Yeah. And then she moves into that second house space and she wants you to, you know, connect your freedom, your rebellion to your relationship to money, to your relationship with just even like things, you know? Mm. So on some level, she has like a really quirky unique relationship to things she might be a collector of you know porcelain dolls totally and they have personalities and they like all chat with each other totally but that could also be your crystals or your spice rack yeah um but or or that could express as like i don't need anything mm, right totally like i'm a re- i rebel against like capitalist culture in general consumerist culture. consumerist culture fuck yeah. it um you know, so I think that that is like a piece of it. Um, there's even something there too, just yeah, around like money, right? Um, but ultimately, I think the important thing about that second house Uranus is you express your authenticity through your relationship with your self worth, self value. So you need to value your authentic self, you need to value your uniqueness. Oh. That's the key to having that Uranus in the second house. Like you have to like honor your uniqueness and love yourself for it. Gorgeous. And then we move into that third house. So it's honoring your uniqueness of communication, you know, like honoring your rebellious voice. Totally. You may want to stand up at a rally and make a speech. Yes. Or write like a really saucy novel. Totally. Yeah. outrageous a scandalo <laughs> but honoring like your unique point of view you know like you are someone who doesn't want to like follow sort of that herd mentality by any means yeah revolutionary ideas exactly yeah so really cultivating your relationship with that uh and then that uranus in the fourth house is someone who probably doesn't want to sort of like live in a cookie cutter world Mm-mm. You know, like has a unique relationship with their home environment, you know, maybe wants to live on that commune. Okay. I don't know. Or it's not a commune. It's a compound. Sorry, a compound. Well, you might have been born into a commune if you had Uranus in the fourth house. Fair enough. <laughs> and there's something too to like having like a unique relationship with your family, right? Or pro- probably being the rebel of the family. Oh yeah, the black sheep. Yeah. Or if you can think about it too, is maybe having been born to a, re- a rebellious mother. Mm. And like having to deal with like, what did, what did that create in you? Or maybe you just have a unique idea of what home is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But anyway, like that is sort of that connection, right? Or just a unique interior design aesthetic. <laughs> Gorgeous. Uh, fifth house Uranus is all about creativity, right? It's all about like what it, like honoring your most unique expression of your creative self. And... And really like allowing that playfulness to come through in a way that, you know, may 
cause you to feel judged by other people because you're not doing what everyone else is doing, but ultimately like then becoming something in the creative realm or in culture that is honored for its uniqueness. For some reason, like just the archetype of like Sia comes to mind, Mm, you know, like she was such a like Uranus fifth house expression, right? I think it's just drag in general feels like very Uranian, very like countercultural. It's like, you know, trying to fuck shit up in the, in a way. Yeah. But for evolution. And if we're looking at it from the old school expression of it, there is maybe some like challenge around children because Uranus didn't like being a parent. So that could be just like a potential expression of it. Your kids are going to cut your dick off and throw it in the ocean. I'm just kidding. It's a it's a saucy episode. I'm getting (laughs) punchy. Lightning round. Okay, six sixth house. Sixth house. Well, I already talked about it. Oh yeah, you did. That's yeah. You can't work the way everybody else works. You have to honor it. You have to honor that. Like, also, just your career might change. You might have seventeen of them, and your daily routine is probably difficult to pin down. Yeah, like it's always changing. So you have to kind of like go through the wind on the winds of change, right? Some mornings oatmeal, some mornings ice cream. (laughs) Honor it. But also because there is a Saturnian element that wants to express through Uranus, that there is something to having to anchor it in some sort of actual tangible routine that then from which you can spring your sort of rebellious nature. So again, having like that meditation, you know, or so even if you're like, out. yeah, every morning I meditate for 10 minutes, but it's a different meditation. Right. Sometimes it's a movement. Sometimes it's a song. Sometimes it's just breath work or quiet. That's how I roll. Yes, queen. <laughs> All right. Seventh house. Girl, you're looking for a thruple. Yes. Non-conventional relationships. Yeah, girl, a quadruple. A, a quintuple. Ain't nothing wrong with it if that's how you fly. A sextuple. Oh, shit. Uh, I think the, you know, that general expression is really like being attracted to someone who's out of the box, right? Oh, totally. Who is out of sort of that left, who has that left of center vibe. If you have Uranus in the seventh house, look at your partner and tell us if we're right or wrong. Yeah, I would love to know. Yeah. You're like, uh, everyone else says I should think that so-and-so is hot, but I think so-and-so is hot. I yeah, don't know who the so-and-sos that. are in that, but... Uh, but anyhow, yeah, and and I think, yeah, just having a very unique approach to relationships and having, like, a variety of them, too, right? Like, you can have, like, all kinds of friends with that Uranus in the seventh. Yeah. Um, in Uranus in the eighth house, I mean, that's kind of an intense little spot because ultimately Uranus wants freedom. And the eighth house isn't necessarily the most free place because it's Scorpio ruled, Pluto ruled. So it wants what it wants. It wants deep transformation, you know, at its core. And Uranus might be like, well, I don't know if I want that right now, or I don't know if I want it the way that you want it. I want to go about it this way. So there can be like a restrictive nature, I think, to that Uranus in the eighth house. But ultimately, it's how do you approach change in your own way, right? Mm. I also think that Uranus in the eighth house could be a celebration of darkness, like Mm. a celebration of the subconscious, right? Like the lightning lights up the sky. Mm -hmm. And so people with Uranus in the eighth house might have a greater ease at bringing out their demons, bringing out their shadow and kind of like dancing with it. In some ways, I almost feel like people with Uranus in the eighth house might be like fucking killer shadow work people because they're Mm, not afraid of it. They like want to harness that energy. And that's where your inspiration comes from, right? Exactly. Yeah. You dance with those demons and you let them 
you know, sing their songs to you. And then you create an album out of it and you make a gajillion dollars. That sounds fabulous. So important to cultivate your relationship with your shadow side. Yeah. Uh, Uranus in the ninth. Well, you already talked about it. Yeah. Innovative philosophy, rebellious truth seeking. Yeah. You may have had a really hard time following the religion that was laid before you in your childhood. Yeah. You know, you wanted to learn about them all, experience them all. Just don't go run away with a cult. Ugh, I, I got so mad. I remember vividly being at my grandparents' table and I was in high school, maybe even middle school, and we were learning about all the different religions. And I was like, well, I think I'm like a little bit Hindu and a little bit Jewish and a little bit Buddhist. And I remember very clearly my grandparents were like, well, you can't do that. Mm. You can't be a little bit of everything. And I was like, fuck all of you. Like, of course I can yeah and that's funny that actually coincides with when i had uranus transit my ninth house i remember that was when i just started studying all different types of religion yeah um yeah you just kind of want to like understand how everyone works yeah the spine of it all mm-hmm. um and you ultimately probably have a better ability to like understand how they're all connected i like to think so mm-hmm. now uranus in the 10th which is Really having like a very unique approach to career, you know, like you're not going to probably be like an accountant or a lawyer, you know, or if you are, then you are a champion for the people, you know, then you're going to be probably like an immigration lawyer. But then one day you're going to have a nervous breakdown and then you're going to like go do something totally different. Exactly. Like your career is going to have a sense of spontaneity and complexity and probably a little bit of chaos. And some creativity there. Right? Because you're going to like be inspiration and creativity ruled. So there's something really connected to needing a creative expression for your career or else, yeah, it's going to like sort of find a way to like shift your career for you. Uh, And then you have that Uranus in the 11th house. Hey girl with your kooky dreams. (laughs) But ultimately, I mean, it makes you want to be like a voice for the people, right? Like that's Uranus's home place mm-hmm. is that 11th house. Like it wants to help free the collective. Right. And, you know, there is like a bit of a like cold nature to Uranus when it comes to like a personal level. Like Uranus doesn't necessarily want to like have best friends because it's too busy doing a work for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it mm-hmm. wants to make the world a better place. So Uranus in the 11th house is very much interested in that. And then... You know, Uranus in the 12th, I actually think can be a really positive thing because it allows you the freedom to explore the unconscious realm, you know, the freedom to dive into your spirituality and to connect to it on a really profound level. Um, You know, I'm having that transit right now. And I think it is really like asking me to, on some level, like double down on like just my connection to the unknown and feel the energy of it. I really think you've landed on something there actually that perhaps we could look at Uranus in someone's chart as the potential for where you can feel most free. Mm, yes. Because Saturn is maybe where you feel most restricted, yep. most limited. Yeah. And Jupiter's where you might feel most expansive, but mm-hmm. that's not the same as feeling the most free. And if I look at my chart and I just use those three words, I feel the most expansive in my Jupiter in the 11th. I feel most restricted in my Saturn in the 8th. And I do feel most free in in my Sagittarius in the 9th. Yeah. Well, and I think there's something too to like how you just brought up Saturn and Uranus, you know, because they both are, they're co-rulers of Aquarius, correct? Yeah. 
So if you think about like needing restriction in order to access true freedom, right? Like, yes, totally. It's like when you think of kids, right? Like they need boundaries in order to like be their most creative selves. Or even like this fucking quarantine. It's like we're going to experience freedom in a whole new way because we've been so caged up. Right. Like you need you need something to be freed from. Exactly. So I think that is a really great way to look at it. So, you know, go and, you know, check out your Uranus, see how it connects to you and see how it does want you to access your relationship with freedom. Gorgeous. How fun. Phew. I loved that. She's wild, Uranus. All right, well, let's just do a wild tarot card poll. Ow! I'm not even going to do it the regular way. I'm literally, I'm just going to throw them on the floor and I'm just going to pick one (laughs) with respect cards, with respect and love. What is it? She's the Knight of Cups. Wait, oh my gosh, that's the card I pulled today. I know, she's been been stalking you. (laughs) Here's the deal with the Knight of Cups, everybody. The Knight of Cups is about having the ability to hold space for our emotions, but not get swept up in our emotions. There is a very zen-like quality to this card. Remember that court cards are asking us to embody them, to literally be them. So when we are the Knight of Cups, we are aware of our emotions, but we're not letting them call the shots. We have to find the balance between letting our emotions sweep us away and repressing them. What is that middle ground where we acknowledge our emotional life cups, right? The things in our life that flow. And we can almost report what we are experiencing neutrally like we're reporting the weather. Like you go like, oh, I'm being very triggered by this thing right now. Oh, I'm really sad right now. It was almost like how I was talking about at the beginning, like allowing my grief its own process. And when it comes, I acknowledge it and Mm -hmm. I can't force it. Knight of Cups is all of that. It wants us to be more in tune with our emotions through acknowledging and observing. And in that way, we actually move them through their cycle more rapidly. Because if we resist or if we push or prod, we actually delay right? We just want our emotions to move through us neutrally. And so there's something very Zen-like about not clinging to, not attaching to our emotions that I think the Knight of Cups is inviting us into, um, moving emotions. And we move emotions merely by observing them. And you might even think about like a river, you know, like let your emotions be a river. And sometimes the river moves fast and sometimes the river moves slow. And in the wintertime, maybe the river freezes. But you just want to be able to acknowledge in this next week your emotions as if you were the observer of them. You are not your emotions. They are a visitor. And let them visit with you. But then also let them leave when they're ready to leave. Don't like lock the door and be like, no, we're having another round of drinks. Like let her go. And that's the Knight of Cups. Not getting too stuck in any one thing. No. And in some ways, I actually think Knight of Cups does have a Uranian energy. Mm. Because How it's so? that ability. Look, you know, I remember from like acting school, the idea the idea that like the idea that you like have to make a transition between one emotion and the next is a total actor thing. Because in real life, we don't have transitions between emotions. You're like laughing one minute and you're crying the next. There's no transition. It just happens like a lightning flash, you know? Yeah. And that's Knight of Cups is allowing yourself like to shift on a dime because that's how the heart moves. It's water. Wow. I love that. Well, thank you. I mean, good advice, I think probably for everyone. These Girl, days. laugh one minute, cry the next, be angry the third moment and, and totally turned on the fourth. All good if, things to feel. Yeah, totally. 
all feelings are good things to feel. There's no bad feelings except for except for numb feelings. Yeah. So on Saturday, May 9th at 11.15 a.m. Pacific Daylight Savings Time, we are going to be holding another one of our breathwork healing circles. And they're only $11. And we hold space for y'all to process the emotions that maybe you haven't had a chance to. Very king of cups. Um, we love we love the connections that we're making and just how beautiful this group is. So please let us help you. If you feel compelled to sign up, you'll find information about it on our website. Um, we'll be doing a Gemini season webinar, but that's not for a couple more weeks. No, and but they're really fun when we do them. Yeah. So, so consider joining us. Yeah, you can time. sign up for that on the website as well. And as always, we are here for healings and readings and send us your questions, babies. Let us be of service. Yeah, you can get in touch with us through our website at thespiritualgaze.com. Uh, find out all the information about everything that we offer. Uh, but you can also find us on Instagram at The Spiritual Gaze, on Twitter at Spiritual Gaze, on Facebook at The Spiritual Gaze. We out here all about town, all about the... Internet. Well, we're not really all about town because we're stuck at home for our sixth consecutive week. Well, we're all about the... Uh, the virtual town. The virtual town. The invisible town. <laughs> um, but yeah, as always, we're so grateful to y'all for checking us out, for listening, for engaging, for being present, and for being your gorgeous, authentic selves. Um, thank you for helping us to build this community to hold this space and please feel free to rate us and leave us reviews on itunes yeah don't and be a rebel there everybody no help us out and uh yeah share us with your friends and um share us with your enemies share us. maybe they'll change into a friend just share us until next time honeys this has been your transit through the spiritual game